So this morning we're going to continue in the book of Acts, um, revealing the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bibles, please open to Acts 15. I've asked Ron Say if he would join me on stage and reading God's word for us. So he'll be reading um, Acts 15, 1 through 16, 5. Okay. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were reaching the brothers. Unless you are teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. The brothers Paul and Barnabas into sharp this brought the, Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other. I'm not seeing my reading very well here. <laughs> along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers, when who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them for giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? By putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear. Not we, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up, Brothers, listen to Simon. Now listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. And that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God, 
Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of them, some of their own men, and send them into Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barabbas, and Silas, two men who were leaders among the, the brothers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. You have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth that we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. The men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who, the, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had, been, who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, who called, who called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had com continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystria and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey to be circumcised to be circumcised, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and of elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. 
So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Amen. Thank you, Ron. Would you join me in prayer before we continue? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit and all that you're doing in our lives. We ask that you continue to transform us to the image of your son, that you would continue um, to be with us on this journey, that we could love you and love others, Lord. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, we're at a pivotal point in the book of Acts. Okay, so we've seen um, Paul's first journey, and now we've come to Jerusalem. Um, This is Luke's account of the early church and what's going on in the Mediterranean area. And basically, this is Luke's account of the Great Commission, where Jesus had said, Therefore, go make... Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So this is Luke's account of the Great Commission, the gospel being proclaimed throughout the ends of the earth. The Spirit is leading Paul as he journeys, this is, again, like I said, his, his first of three journeys. With each leg of this journey, the Spirit leads him further and further out in the Mediterranean area. We see Peter's vision in chapter 10. Flip with there with me. Uh, chapter 10, verse 9, just to give a little backstory to where we're, we're at in Acts 15, the next day, as they were on the journey and approached the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not make common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. So we see here a vision from God through the Holy Spirit that what God makes clean is clean. So don't call clean uncommon, or common rather. We continue in verse 25 through 28. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathering, gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you 
or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. We see this as the first witness to a Gentile person. Then we see Paul in chapter 14 proclaiming to the Gentile people in verse 1. Now at Iconia, they entered together into the Jerusalem Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed, both Jewish people and Gentile people believing. And this is the fulfillment of what we read, God's promise to Abram, In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth shall be blessed. From the Jewish people to all people groups, the message of the gospel will be proclaimed. So with that said, we look in Acts chapter 15. In verse 1, but some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. So there was a certain people, certain party, teaching circumcision and following the law of Moses. And we see in Galatians, Galatians 2, sorry, thought I had it in my notes, it's in my Bible, good place for it. Uh, Galatians 2, 11 through 16, but when, when Cyphus came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before, before certain men came from James, he was eating He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, Live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, yet we know that a person is not justified by God, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Circumcision required for salvation? We continue in verse 5 of Acts 15.
verse 5 says, But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. Do we keep the law? Well, Romans 2, 28 through 29 says, For no one is a Jew who is merely outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So it's a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the physical outward circumstance. It's a matter of the heart. It's between you and God. But can a Gentile be saved? Well, Peter goes on in verse 7. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are we putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The gospel to the Gentiles, we're all equal in this. In verse 10, he talks about this yoke. Why are we putting God to the test? Why, why are we placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that our fathers and we can't even attain to? Why are we putting that on the Gentiles? It's a stumbling block. It's something in the way of Jesus. Galatians 3, 13 through 14 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Redeemed from the law. Jesus was the curse on the tree. Romans 7.4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you might bear fruit for God. Paul writes in Romans 3.21-26, through 26, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have fallen, sin, fallen have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God 
and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. Oh, you can't even see it. So what is required for salvation? I apologize for this slide. What is required for salvation? Is it the sinner's prayer? Is it Sunday worship? We gather together today to sing and hear God's word. Is it community groups? Serving, blessing others? See a lot of shaking heads. Salvation is by grace alone. Right? It's not our works that save us. It's what he did that saves us. By grace alone. Some might say that, that faith, then, is, is our side of the equation, right? So he, he comes, he saves us, and then my faith, my accepting him, that's, that's my part of the equation. But that's actually not accurate. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Ephesians 1 through 4, or I'm sorry, 1, 4 through 6 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the beloved. By grace alone. So then what is our side of the equation? Our side is being sinners in need of grace. Amen? That's what we do. We sin. And we need God's grace. Romans 5, 8 through 9 says this. But God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have, no, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And one of pastor's favorite verses, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, grace is not earned by an effort on our part. Otherwise, it could not be called grace. Right? Grace is free. If our good works earned salvation, 
then God would be obligated to pay us what we're due. But no one can earn heaven. And God's blessings are not his obligation. They flow from his goodness and his love for us. No matter how diligent we pursue works to earn God's favor, we fail. Our sin trips us up every single time. Romans 3, 19 through 20 says this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And finally, we get to the council's conclusion we see in Acts fifteen twenty eight. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from that has, from from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Paul writes in Galatians 5, 1, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't submit to the yoke. Jesus. What is the requirement for salvation? Jesus. So why state these requirements in verse 29? Sacrifice to idols, stand from blood, strangling, Sexual immorality, that it just gets confusing because we don't have to circumcise, but now we have to do these four things. It's not necessarily about these requirements. It's relating to other people for the sake of the gospel. It's for the mixed churches. To be with the Jewish people during that time, this would have been the four kind of minimum requirements to be part of that fellowship. We see an example, actually, in Acts 16, verse 3, which doesn't really make sense, and it kind of stands out, but if you think about it in this context, it makes sense. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. That doesn't make sense unless you understand that by proclaiming the gospel and going to these people groups and relating to them and being part of who they are and proclaiming the gospel, not identifying with them, just, just being a part with them to proclaim the gospel to get the message of Jesus and salvation out. Paul writes it best like this. 
in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. For I am free from all. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became one under the law. Though not being under, myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. I have become all things to all people. That by all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Becoming all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. Paul met them where they were with the gospel. And we just heard a really good series, Pastor Preached, on where Jesus meets us, where we are with the gospel. That's all Paul's doing, is meeting people where they are with the gospel. And that's what he's asking us to do. So then this morning, what's, what's the big takeaway? What's the, the three-point, seven-point sermon? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Tolian Tavidian said it best. And I don't know if he coined that phrase, but I'm giving him credit. See, we do works of faith out of the love that God has given us, that he has for us. It's not the other way around. It's not we're going to do these works and heap on all these different things to get God's love and grace. God's love and grace is with us already, and our motivation because of that love and grace is to do these good works. And these good works are for our neighbors. They're for our church family. Right? Jesus said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-eight, love God and love our neighbors. These are the two commands. Most religions, they put burdens on their people. You have to do this, you have to do that. You know, in the Old Testament, there's 613 laws and different rituals and traditions that you have to keep in order to be holy and be connected with God. But see, Christianity is so beautiful that we don't have to do all that. That God so loves us, right? That the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, sent his only son to live a perfect life, one that we couldn't live, fulfilling the law. And he died a sacrificial death, taking our sin onto him on the cross, taking the wrath of God. Then on the third day, he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father, in control, sovereign. So this morning, I just want you to be encouraged. 
but it's all about Jesus. That, that whatever you may be going through, cry out to Jesus. Reach out to Jesus. Beg him. Okay? Beg him. He can do amazing things. And I think we, we tend to put them in a little box. I know I do. But we need to make that box so much bigger. He loves us so much. His grace is so sufficient. And he wants so much for us. And his Holy Spirit is with us. Guiding us, comforting us. Pursuing us, directing us. Be encouraged. And I want to leave you with this. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we may walk in them. Receive God's love and grace. If you don't beg him for it, be in that and then be a blessing to others.